0: Is your small group living in-depth, transparent, intentional, reciprocating lives who have strong desires to change personally and as a group, perhaps as a men's group or a community of ladies? It could be a mixed group, men, women, multi-generations that you meet to go over the sermon each week, or possibly you meet to go through a book. We have a group of men right now in uh, Raleigh or outside in Apex, uh, North Carolina, going through my book Change Me. We have another group of men uh, in Illinois, I believe, that are also going through the same thing, and I heard of another group in New Jersey doing that too. How would you describe those gatherings? I want to give you one of the pitfalls that can stagnate any community group in shallowness, no transformative force, and possibly frustration. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I'm Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. You are more than welcome to read this podcast. Here's the title, The Revolutionary Cure for Small Group Frustration. I have many art uh, many articles linked inside of this, a lot of resources here, and so this would be a good template for you to read personally and also to share with whatever that small group is. Now, I want you to consider this. I know you all are thinking about a small group within a church dynamic, but I want to expand your thoughts here. To think about your own family. Maybe the group has doesn't meet at the church building or is not necessarily associated with the church building as far as going through a sermon or a book. Maybe it's another group that meets off-site, and they do different things like a family. And so I want you to think about this small group experience, but how to make it deeper. Now, I am assuming that the makeup of the group, in whatever context it may be, that they are believers. Consider Biff, a regular small group attendee. Biff asked his group's leader if he could meet with him for breakfast. He wanted to share with him a complaint about their little group. Biff felt the group was not progressing toward any meaningful goal, and from his perspective— He knew why. The following week, they met, and Biff shared several illustrations about how the group seemed stuck in what he called the superficial mode. Perhaps you've never thought about that before. But I do say, if you haven't thought about it, there are zillions of Christians who have, and maybe they didn't frame it that way, but they feel like their group is stuck in some kind of superficiality. Now, Biff said that no one showed any interest in getting real. The complaint... From Biff is one of the more common ones that I hear about small group life. And as I say often that my statistics are skewed because I, again, live on the underside of Christianity, that dark place where the nice Christians don't hang. This is where all the problems land. Problems go downhill, you know, and and there I am at the bottom of the hill. And so I have skewed statistics. I to hear more complaints than anything else. Many small group participants have vocalized similar concerns to what I just shared with you in this fictional account of Biff. I want to give you a few of the grievances that I have heard without names or locales. Now this list that I'm going to share with you is not exhaustive, but if you belong to a small group that wants to mature in Christ— It would be an excellent opportunity for you all to discuss not only my list here, but perhaps you have others that you could add to your discussion. That would be challenging, I realize, for many people, but it would be a a leadership opportunity for everybody in the group. Here's my non-exhaustive list of complaints that I've heard about small group life. We meet to go through a book or watch a video, and nobody says anything. I keep my mouth shut, but leave frustrated. My husband and I have been struggling for years, but there is no way I would say anything about it in our group. We'd be the only ones with problems. It's the lack of transparency, if you ask me. These people are not about to get transparent. I would say something, but if they knew what was going on in my heart, they wouldn't associate with me. I shared one time when I was struggling through something, and the group gave me pat answers. Then they shared some scriptures that did not help. I felt embarrassed for weeks after sharing. I learned from that experience to keep my mouth shut about things that mattered. Oh, I would share, but my small group leader, has some, he has more problems than I do. I'm not sure that my leader can help me. He's a facilitator more than a leader. He wants to stick to the script that the pastor gives him. When folks have tried to share their lives, he listens, he nods, he says, I, I will definitely pray about that. And then he goes back to the outline. Now, that's my list, and I've heard all of these things in my life. And again, perhaps you have a list, or maybe not a list, but a couple of things that are on your mind right now. And again, if you are part of a small group, I urge you to to somehow uh, make these things part of the discussion because that is a key. Now maybe the group is just not mature enough to to handle the truth, but you need to talk about it with someone within the group who is mature enough and and maybe you can uh, maybe you can make some progress even though it may be slower than what you hope. Several years ago I led a small group and In over 12 months, true story, every couple in the small group came to me complaining about the lack of transparency in the group. Now, it was humorous that everyone in the group voiced the same concerns, but no one in the group knew what the other members of the group were thinking and saying about each other. Now, fortunately, God gave us the grace as a group to change into a dynamic community that was willing to delve into nearly any personal problem. And each individual strengthened the others in that context by loving and maturing and, and they became caring friends. But we did not get to that point by accident. By the way, if everybody in the group is saying the same thing, that is a real good sign Because that means they all want something, but they're they're not willing to lead or they are afraid to to, to take the initiative or whatever the issue is. But if they're all saying the same thing, that's a leader's dream because then it's time to put your money where your mouth is. So now what you want to do, you want to change them into a dynamic small group. They all want it. They say they do. Now, for us to change into a dynamic small group, there were several things we needed to do. And even though all the folks were complaining privately, it was apparent by that unanimous <laughs> unanimous complaint that they wanted something different. Thus, I had my marching orders to start setting a new tone, a new course. We were not going to be just another innocuous social gathering, but a Christ-like, caring community of disciple-makers. Now, I am not boasting in my ability, whatever that may be. And I don't want you to hear that. I'm not saying that at all. It was the grace of God. The grace of God must be there if any person, any group, any situation Changes for by grace we live our lives, and we can't do anything apart from God's empowering favor on our lives. But you cannot dismiss that the most vital person in the group is the leader. If this person does not have the vision or the intentionality or the skill set to lead well, your group will never rise higher than who this person is. Think about that. Before you can enjoy a loving, meaningful, and intrusive relationship with another human being, you need to have an in-depth understanding, experience, and practice of the gospel in your personal lives. That goes for the leader and it goes for everybody in the group. You cannot enjoy a loving, meaningful, intrusive relationship with another human being if you do not have a relationship with the gospel or with Christ. If you do not have a practical experience of the gospel in your life, it will be nearly impossible to have a sustaining and meaningful relationship with another human being. My vital point here is that you always export who you are. And if the gospel is not your animating center, you will impart something else to your immediate connections. And it will always be less than God's good intentions for you because his good intentions for you is the gospel. Perhaps it would be wise at this juncture to define how I am using the term gospel. The gospel is Christ. When I say the gospel, the gospel is a synonym in my mind. It is Christ. He is the good news. He is who we reveal to others. It is the power of Christ that saves and transforms It's all that he was in eternity past, Christ, the gospel. It is all that he was while living on earth. It is all that he is and will be in eternity. The gospel is the person and the works of Christ. Who he is and what he does is the gospel the more you understand Christ and the, and the more he affects you, the more adequately you will apply the gospel to your life. The gospel, Christ, will transform you and impact your relationships in ways that nothing else can. Perhaps it would serve you to think about what the gospel, Christ, is or was while he lived here. Go back to the four Gospels that tell the story of Christ. Let me give you one example. Now, this is not in the four Gospels, but this is a historical account of of what Christ did. And, of course, you see all this acted out in the Gospel. I'm talking about Philippians 2, 5 through 11. You see Christ humbling himself by leaving the relationships that he was comfortable with in heaven the Father, the Spirit, the Trinity, the community, the first small group, and he entered into a context where where we needed his help, simply imitating that one data point from Christ can transform lives. Thus, you want to answer this question, are you that intentional when you're with others? You're willing to get out of your chair and enter into their lives for the purpose of and the hope and the expectation that that you can cooperate with God and God would work through you for the transformation of souls. Some Christians, again, Christ followers, some Christians are passive. Christ followers, think about that. That, that's, uh, that's not the juxtaposition that we want. If you are a Christ follower, you are a Christian, you are an imitator of the gospel. They had rather wait, defer, let someone else take the lead. That attitude is less like Christ and more like an anti-Christ. Jesus had a gospel initiative. He lived in the expectation that people needed help. So he got out of his chair. He was always looking for opportunities to insert himself in somebody's life. Sometimes they were they were very glad, thank you, Nicodemus, and sometimes they were not, rich young ruler. And so the first step to have a dynamic small group is to commit to building a vibrant personal relationship with God. Do not begin with the group. No, 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 no. Don't start with the group if you're frustrated with the small group. Start with you and how you relate to and how you imitate Christ, the gospel. And so the question you want to ask yourself is about the effect that the gospel has on you. Again, you export who you are. Christ exported himself, who he was, and your goal is, is to transport him to your world. The gospel is God's plan for changing his church. It is the power of God unto salvation and sanctification, and a small group of friends is an excellent place for gospel transformation. You cannot be an agent of gospel change until the gospel changes you. Let's talk about this exportation thing, but first I want to share a burden that I have with you. In 2019, the 11th year of this ministry, I poured tremendous time with joy and thought and resources into keeping this labor of love going for you and keeping it free for you. It takes me hundreds of hours a month to research and provide and thousands of dollars to sustain. If you find any joy and value in what I do, would you please consider giving? You can donate or you can become a supporting member with a gift of your choosing, your generosity. It does matter, and I realize that everyone can't do that, so don't put pressure on yourself. I had a lady write in and said, I want to give, but I can't. Don't. Please don't give if you can't. Don't. But if you are able, your generosity does matter, and then you will be able to help those who love our resources and want to give, but they, they aren't able to. I pray that you would consider my appeal. Now let's talk about this exportation thing. Whatever you want your small group to be like, you must model that kind of life before them. This principle that I'm laying out to you is not limited to the functioning of small groups. I said that earlier at the top of this podcast. When you think about small group, yeah, most people will think about a small group within a local church, and that is fantastic. That's good. But I want to expand your thinking here. It's not limited to just that type of small group. It has as much. This idea of exportation has as much to do with the running of small groups as it does with running every other part of the Christian race. Let me give you an example. Consider the issue of parenting. Parents must practice what they preach. The question is, how effective would it be for a parent To ask a child to confess and repent of their sin if the parent does not model and practice the same. How hypocritical for a small group leader to call the folks to holiness when he's not practicing the teaching. The Bible is clear that if if parents wants, if a parent wants a child to love God with all of his heart, soul, and mind, good goal, Matthew 22, that parent must own this truth by modeling what he hopes to export. The call here to imitate. Is for every person who names the name of Jesus as their Savior, as their leader, Christ follower. I want you to reflect on these three verses. Would love for you to memorize these verses. They're fantastic, and they make the point in a potent way. First Corinthians 11, 1, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Ephesians five one: Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Philippians 4 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you want your children to have a dynamic relationship with Christ? Do you want them to be honest and transparent with God and with you? Do you want them to walk in humility and integrity? Do you want them to be accountable to you and to others? These are not the first questions that you want to ask. I want you to start here. Quote, I must not teach them what to do before I show them how to do it by my example. For a moment, let's consider the small group the Savior led. It was a 13-person men's group. The members had no vision for what he wanted. They were selfish, conniving, sinfully ambitious, Peter, critical, and easily swayed toward the sinful opinions of others. All of them defected, and one of them never changed, even committing suicide, Judas. I'd say that he had a rough group of misfits. Now, I don't know how bad your group is. I don't know how bad your family is. But Jesus had a selfish, conniving, sinfully ambitious, critical, and easily swayed toward the sinful opinions of others' group. All of them defected. One of them committed suicide. Christ was the only person who had the right vision for the small group. Thus, you want to think about how he brought biblical shape to his group. Reading the four Gospels with his leadership style in view would be really beneficial for you. There are many ways to read the gospel with Jesus in view. One of those is his leadership style. I talk often about reading the four gospels and how Jesus interacted with people and how he didn't do cookie-cutter counseling. Those are wonderful ways to read Christ through the gospel. I mean, we do know that Jesus patiently exported his life to them it took him 3 years to whip this bunch into shape it would be an understatement to say it took a lot of blood sweat and tears but despite the cost jesus patiently and carefully he loved and served his disciples as he shaped them into the most dynamic small group in the history of the church he did Think about the beginning. Think about the end. You know when you see those photographs, like, say, when you you lose weight, you have the before and after. Well, the before of this group was, oh my goodness, it was terrible, selfish, conniving, sinfully ambitious, et cetera, et cetera. But the end result was the most dynamic small group in the history of the church. In time, all of the members, except for one of his small group, became small group leaders. As they modeled what Christ taught them, they forged other leaders, which has been the plan all the way to today. We are the beneficiaries of that first small group, Jesus and his disciples, the second small group, or the several small groups that came out of that. He was big about birthing small groups, and so his disciples did similarly the message and life of christ did not lose force on their generation i want you to listen how one of their lead one of the leaders during that of that generation spoke about himself and the work of Christian discipleship, as he coached another leader, you'll find it in 2 Timothy 2.2. It's really easy to remember, 2, 2, 2, 2. 2 Timothy two two. Here's what Paul said to his small group member that he was launching out to start his own Timothy. He said this, and what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's the exponential factor, the birthing factor. We call it evangelism. That's fine. Discipleship, training up leaders. Ephesians 4, equipping the church so the people can do the work of the ministry. The issue of modeling the gospel is fundamental. It was essential to the Father or else we would not have an earthly ministry of his son. It was necessary to the son, or we would not have had his ministry to his small group. One of the exciting things about the four gospels is that none of the authors wrote them as those events were unfolding. Now, this was not a daily blog that they were keeping on Jesus's life. They were all written after the fact. And what did they write? years, decades, 40 years after these events, what did those gospels talk about? Those gospels talk about what they saw Jesus do, what they heard him say. Their observations were of paramount importance they felt the necessity to deliver to us the life that the savior modeled before them christ affected people by his words his actions his example if you want to see your small group go from a superficial social gathering to a christ-centered caring community of disciple-makers, let me urge you to begin with these two ideas. Here's two things that I want to share with you. Key idea number one, before you will enjoy a loving, meaningful, and intrusive relationship with another human being, you must have an in-depth understanding, experience, and practice of the gospel of Christ in your life. Key idea number one, uh, before you will enjoy this in others, you have to have it in yourself. Number two, key idea number two, in whatever way you discern that a member of your small group ought to change, you become the picture— of that changed life before that person, in front of that person, as you prayerfully and dependently expect God's strength and timing to help you. The title of this podcast is The Revolutionary Cure for Small Group Frustration. Now, I have a call to action here, and I'll not be able to work through all these questions that I have for you, all these ideas that I want to suggest because there's 12 of them. But I do want you to go through them. If this is of interest to you, then I want you to go through them, please. Many people will read this article or they will listen to this podcast and they will think that it's for the leader of a small group, specifically their small group. Children may hear this podcast and or read the article and think that, well, this is for my parents. Well, it is. It, it is. It's for your small group leader. It's for your parents, but it's also for you. Do not make that mistake. All Christians are leaders. You may not be a small group leader, but God has made you an ambassador for Christ. That call— as an ambassador of Christ, is a leadership position. It does not matter where your sphere of influence is. It does not matter your age. Grandparents, you don't stop now. You hit 60, 70, 80 years old. If you're still okay mentally and and whatever physical ability that you have— There's a call for leadership. Your words, I I love saying this to grandparents, your words are invaluable. The experience that you have, we love you and want to hear from you. I appeal to you to share the wisdom that the Lord has shared with you, like what Christ did to his disciples, like what Paul did to Timothy, you do for us. We never stop leading until the Lord takes us home. Thus, All this content in this article, these 20 embedded articles that are inside here, it applies to you, whoever you are. And so with that perspective in mind, how would you answer these questions? Let me give you just a couple of them before I close. Number one, are you amazed that Christ died for you? Why or why not? It would be good to write that out in a journal or to share that with a friend. Your response to that question. Are you amazed that Christ died for you? Number two, do the realities of the gospel, meaning Christ, do they practically affect your daily life? How? Why did you answer the way that you did? How does Christ affect your daily life? Another good conversation. Number three, The more you realize the depth of your darkness before Christ came into your life, the more your appreciation for the gospel will shine. That's the gap. The wider the gap between who you were, darkness, and your affection for Christ, light, that will determine your affection for Christ. And so what are, here's the question, what are some particular ways that God has forgiven you? How does this good news affect you? One more. Jesus said that whoever has received much forgiveness loves much. That's why I asked the earlier question, so here's another one. How has God's grace grown your gratitude for him and also your pity for others? We biblically pity those who who do not live in the goodness of this grace, and we want to help them. The Revolutionary Cure for Small Group Frustration. Please work through the remainder of these questions. They will serve you well. And I am so grateful that you listen to this podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of RickThomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to RickThomas.net. RickThomas.net.